Hello, and welcome to SaaS Marketing Insights, the show where we ask SaaS founders, CEOs, marketers, and investors about the lessons they've learned in their quest to grow their companies. My name is Paul Stevenson, and I'm founder and CEO of SaaS marketing agency, 47 Insights. On today's show, I have an interview with Charles Paleski, president at Spark Shipping. Hope you enjoy it. Charles Paleski, president of Spark Shipping. Welcome to SaaS Marketing Insights. Hey, how are you doing today? Thanks for having me on. Good, good. So um, you're over there in, in Boston. What's the weather like today? Is it warming up? No, it's rainy and cold, actually, outside right now. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Yeah, we've... Yeah, uh, rainiest month on record, actually, I think, right now. Uh, so. Yeah, there seems to have been a lot of rain in the east. I know uh, the east of Canada is uh, suffering, sort of Quebec and Ottawa and places like that. Um, yep. we're, we're nice and dry over here and the, the sun's shining today. So it's a, it's a good thing. Um, so um, Spark Shipping uh, doesn't sound like a SaaS business, but it is. Uh, do you want to tell us what Spark Shipping is and uh, how you got started? Yeah, so what Spark Shipping is, it's a, it is a SaaS contrary to the name, uh, the word shipping in the name. Um, and what we essentially do is work with e-commerce retailers and we sit in between the retailers and the vendors. Um, vendors are manufacturers, distributors, wholesalers. We kind of use the term very generically, but it's any place products are physically stored or orders are sent from. So even a, a 3PL, third-party logistics company, um, like FBA is an example of that, owned by Amazon. Yeah. Um, even shipping software, things like that we would consider a vendor. And we pretty much automate those connections in between. So things like order data, tracking data, it all comes back and forth um, from these different vendors. And what's very common in e-commerce now is you might have, you know, quite possibly like your Shopify store, your Amazon store, your eBay store. And then all those orders are also going to multiple vendors on the other end. So you might have three different distributors, a manufacturer, and even your own internal little warehouse that you store some products. And when an order comes in, it could be routed to any one of those. Each one uses a different format. We automate all of those. Um, so we're automatically able to send those orders in the correct format the vendor wants, pull tracking back, send it back up to where the order came from. That notifies the user, hey, your order shipped. Um, so that's kind of what we do. Wow. So um, you're solving quite a big problem for people because, uh, you know, I remember when e-commerce first started taking off in the late. 90s early 2000s in any significant way and it was always such a, a pain if you had like uh you know you wanted to do anything complicated and and so i, I sort of recognize the the problem that, that that you're solving there i mean does anyone not have that problem i guess we're dealing you're dealing with a lot of drop shippers and people like that could be drop shippers but also just if you're using a 3pl to, to ship your own products for example so you know, you go and manufacture X and you want to send those products. Um, those have to come from a warehouse. Um, you most likely don't own that warehouse. And unless by warehouse, you mean like your garage, it's <laughs> going to be something like an, a 3PL is essentially an outsourced warehouse. They yeah. all use different um, method of receiving and sending data. So we're able to automate those connections as well. Um, and kind of the neat thing that a lot of folks do is it's not just so... When you think of drop shipping, everyone kind of has that um, idea that it's just like, it is cut and dry thing. Like you're either a drop shipper or you're not. Yeah. But really kind of what's happening behind the scenes is 
everyone's just kind of like hybrid dropshipper. Um, a lot of folks, even, I mean, some of the largest players this is what everyone does. They might be shipped. They're essentially going to a manufacturer, purchasing large amounts of products, bringing them to their 3PL. When that inventory runs out, we then are able to then route the same orders for those same products to a manufacturer. When that runs out, we can route the same orders for the same products to a distributor. So there's different like tiers of where you want to route orders to, and that allows you to have products in stock much longer. So it creates this kind of hybrid, right? Where it's almost, is it drop shipping at that point? Like you could buy them and you have them sitting there. So there's all these like different models that folks use. Um, and just over the years, e-commerce has got more competitive. You know, at one point you could just become a drop shipper. You go sign for a distributor, dump the products on a Shopify site, people would buy and life was good. But now you have to be a little more clever than that. So you have to be able to work with multiple manufacturers and kind of have these like more complex setups to be able to um, still be profitable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, uh, the logistics of e-commerce are a, a bit a bit of a nightmare, <laughs> um, which is why I stick to SaaS. Uh, so yeah, it's also the it's also the boring stuff no one talks about, which is yeah interesting. It um yeah, it turns a lot of people are on the front end of e-commerce, right, and how to kind of get more orders, run up sales, that sort of thing. But a lot of it is like, okay, after you have the sales, how to profitably just go through, just move stuff through quicker. Because um, you, once you're actually at scale, um, a lot gets bogged down there. So it's not about, at some point, it's not about just, okay, let's get double amount of orders. Now it becomes, let's get the orders we have today and just move them through faster so that we can get more orders. So they want to just bog down with, you know, where's the tracking data, where's the product, like what's going on internally. Mm. So I think it's um, a problem that a lot of people would recognize in the e-commerce space. It's a very common problem. So uh, what's the story about how you founded Spark Shipping and, and, and solved these problems, this problem for these folks? Yeah, so it's quite a few years ago now. I was um, left a full-time job years and years ago. Um, and I said, I'm going to go off do some consulting. So I was doing just freelance consulting, um, some in industry, some just kind of general um, you know, web development sort of stuff. And kind of along the way, I said, all right, consulting's good. I had nothing against it, but I said, I want to own something. You know, I actually wanted to be a SaaS, but couldn't really find something that made sense. So I just was kind of looking around and found an uh, e-commerce site. I'm like, this looks interesting. Let's try this. So I went and purchased a very a small e-commerce site at the time and started just running that on the side of the consulting. And it started to get more orders, actually. Started to do okay and kind of ramp that up. But as I did, this whole problem started happening of, oh, wow, I'm spending a lot of time each day just sending emails and pulling in tracking data. Um, and then I had some VAs that did it. But then if, you know, there's a delay, like if they're sleeping or if anyone's sleeping, in hmm. dropshipping, for example, uh, if there's three left in stock and you wait 12 hours after you got the order, you might not have zero in stock. So now you're going back to Amazon and canceling orders and that creates a whole nightmare. So you start having these like problems very quickly. Um, and out of that, I said, okay, there has to be a better way. Start looking around and there weren't very good tools for it. So I kind of just built this internal, um, I think at the time it's called like the automation thing, the automation engine. Um, and that ran the business basically internally for a while. And then I started saying like, this is actually more interesting than like the other stuff I'm doing. Talked to some other retailers, started actually selling it, and said, "Oh, this is actually, you know, kind of picking up." So at some point, I wound down the consulting business, um, sold the e-commerce site, 
and focus on this full time. And that's been years now. Right. So what, four, five, six years, something like that, or, or longer? More around, I think, about, I think since Barkship was a full-time focus, probably about four years now. Um, cool. The consulting business around longer. And when the product initially like started, it, was, it, it wasn't this, you know, I didn't go into it with, hey, starting Sparkship. And I went into it and I'm automating this, you know, my e-commerce site. So there was no like, fr- like login or anything. It was just automation mm-hmm. for that. And started just found kind of those issues and built it up. And at some point actually, you know, made it so people could buy it to hit the thing. So. so there's a huge irony there. So you're looking to buy a SaaS. You couldn't find a SaaS. <laughs> you bought an e-commerce store instead. And then you found that there was this problem with that in the, you know, the logistics and the handling of all of the data. And so then you scratched your own itch classically, uh, built a solution and then sold the solution as a SaaS. Yeah, never thought of that. But yes, when you say it that way, it, uh, it's kind of funny how it came full circle, which I think a lot of what a lot of people do is they want to start a SaaS and they end up solving a problem, but only a problem that like they have. But it's not like yeah. a re- it's like a very small business problem. Um, mm-hmm. And this it, like at the time I was basically doing I was an e-commerce retailer. So I was able to see like a whole different problem set that like normally SaaS people just don't see. Um, when I go to a lot of, you know, conventions and I explain to people and like on the like software founder side, mm. go to a conference and kind of explain to people and, you know, everyone goes, oh, is this a problem? Like, is this even a thing? And you're like, yeah, it's a huge thing in e-commerce, but like as an old person, you don't know this. So it's one of those kind of little things of figuring out, you you know, to start a SaaS product, you almost need to get in a whole different business, see those problems and then then it's pretty easy because there's not a lot of SaaS founders in e-commerce. So you're able to see a lot of interesting problems and go like, wow, we can make all these things better. Um, and this just happens to be the one I kind of focused on. Yeah, that, that is great. And I think uh, it is, um, it, it's, I've seen this time and time again, that the people who really prosper at SaaS uh, are people who come from uh, a particular vertical or, or an industry and have domain knowledge of that. And, and they then, develop a, a SaaS to solve a problem that they have. Uh, and they're, they're not actually, you know, SaaS centric at all. Um, uh, and I think that that's what you're explaining there. And, and all of the great opportunities that are left in SaaS are, bro- are probably going to come from people in, you know, really weird industries that uh, nobody technical, uh, you know, SaaS founder hasn't been near yet, like, I don't know, funeral services or uh, trucking or something. <laughs> Yeah, and they happen to be kind of the more, um, I don't know, boring is the right word, but just things that aren't the the cool things, right? They're not the, yeah. you're not using the latest like JavaScript library to build this. It's not this like developer focused thing, It's but it's a real business problem. Um, and, and it turns out a lot of people in that vertical have that, have this problem. But if you're not in that vertical, you don't, you actually just assume the problem is already solved. Quite honestly. Like yeah. you just think, oh, like, how can that be a problem in 2019? And it turns out in these verticals, there's still a lot of problems in 2019 um, yeah. yet to be tapped into. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, I think there's a ton of opportunity out there if, if you're in the right uh, industries. So let's uh, let's turn to the marketing side of things. So, you know, you started uh, Spark Shipping four or five years ago. Uh, you had you as a customer. Uh, how did you go about finding more customers? I think at first, I mean, 
are we talking customer like you know i guess i was customer one so we talking customer two here or you know <laughs> yeah customer two customer oh, two i think initially it was probably just talking to kind of the internal network um just people i knew at mm -hmm. some point i kind of said okay i have to actually see if you know is it because you know, at some point you can kind of get the first couple customers that way, but then you say, okay, is it just because they know and like like me and like trust me? Like, how do I get someone I actually don't know? Um, yeah, I think at first I literally might have the product was actually there and it was running, but I didn't even know exactly like like how to describe it. I think I ended up throwing up a couple landing pages and just kind of described what I thought I was like seeing and kind of just drove people to those. They filled out a form if they wanted to talk, um, and I just got on the phone and said like. So you filled up that form. You wanted to know more about this thing. What do you think that thing is you want to know more about? Like, and I kind of knew what I had, but I was like, wait, why exactly did you just give me your information? And kind of just had to like talk to them of like, oh, I'm trying to do this thing. I'm like, and then, I mean, some people would just name something like completely left failed and like, ah, oh, it's not what I was talking about. And then other people would actually be like, yeah, I have this thing. I need to automate these vendor connections. Like, yes, okay. And like, let's talk about that. And I would start to realize over time, okay, did they describe it like me or different or like, what were the words we're using? um but yeah i think it was honestly just a form and i would just answer the email and let's get on a call and just like why did you give me your information and like what did you think i was going to do for you mm -hmm. um and then yeah and it kind of just grew out of that and there were people that obviously a lot of people had complete like people were almost making up their own products i'm like oh, that's a good idea but that's not what i do thanks yeah. um and then just there were a lot of people that were like all right i get it i want like i want that let's do it and then kind of just at that, I mean, for the first few, it was just very manual of like, let's sign people up. Um, I think even a lot of the setup, it was technically a SaaS and I would just log into their account and just help them. I would basically do the setup for them. Um, just cause you know, at first you don't have all those edge cases kind of polished off. Um, yeah. And then over time you kind of get that all built up where you can actually have someone sign up on the site and you know, it, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not manually taking a credit card over the phone and typing into Stripe. It's, it becomes actually the, you know, a credit card form. So. But that all took a little bit of time. So uh, with those with those first few customers, um, you took them to lead pages. How how did you get them to go to the lead pages? Was it like SEO, or did you run a paid campaign, or was it just email outreach? I think I mean email outreach wasn't even that was just people I knew. So that was literally just like, hi, let's get on the phone. Um, so that wasn't even we weren't we weren't even we we're below landing pages at that level. We we're just on like a phone call. Um, cool. Then I think once I went to the landing page level, I think that was, um, yeah, I think it was just cool. I think at the time it was just AdWords actually. Um, I don't even think Facebook was probably a thing, but not really like, mm. you know, as big as it was today. Plus Facebook is a more kind of uh, complex marketing. Yeah. Beast. Beast. AdWords. Good word, beast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the right term. AdWords is easier, right? Because you're lower in the funnel, so you know their intent. So if someone's Googling for yeah. commerce automation software, you're like, I know what you want. Um, in Facebook, if you're like looking at cat pitches, you have more, you don't really know what they want. Um, and you have to kind of put different offers in front of them. And at the time, I didn't really know what those offers were. So mm -hmm. I was just saying, let's go way further down the funnel, find people already looking for something that does this, and then just talk to them about that thing they're looking for. Versus trying to really go high up the funnel initially. Um, yeah. So this is one thing I learned to start very, start low down the funnel where people already have the intent to move. Basically looking for a product to buy and then just mm -hmm. get that product. Versus once you're 
more fleshed out, then you're talking like social move up the funnel of people yeah. don't actually have intent right now, but how do we, you know, how do we get, how do we get people from commenting on cat photos to actually going, Oh, maybe I want to, you know, automate my e-commerce site. Cause that one takes a little more, you know, a little more finesse to get people moving in that direction versus searching for it in Google. They're kind of already there. They're in the mode. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I like, I like what you're saying. Um, so how has your marketing like changed over those four years? And, you know, what, what do you find kind of works best for you now? Because, you know, there's a ton of different channels and tactics and stuff that you could do, but, uh, you know, you've got limited time and limited resource, uh, as does everyone. Um, how, what's working for you? Yeah. I mean, so we have kind of the unique thing and kind of when you read, um, with the book traction, um, many of those, um, Gabriel, um, is it Gabriel Weinbeck, um, yeah, Weisberg, that's it. Yeah. And they kind of have, um, engineering is marketing. Um, we're probably lucky in that where we're kind of like, kind of like a, a very specific Zapier, we're connecting A with B. Um, and we help the people on the A side and we help the people on the B side, right? So mm -hmm. it, we do well with, you know, the A's want us to work and the B's want us to work too. So we work with a lot of the partners on both sides, both the retail side and the vendor side. Um, and we have quite a few of these pre-built integrations now. We have, you know, probably almost, even the vendor side, almost a hundred now. Um, wow. And each one of them, and we have a whizzy we got arrow people built like thousands of their own, like quirky, you know, we were talking to someone the other day and they mentioned the customer and they built 450 vendor integrations on their own. I'm like, oh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know who all these vendors are. And like, you just look down and they just have hundreds of these. Because all in, in a vendor, I mean, it could be a, a large um, distributor, like a traded on, you know, a Fortune 500, but it could also be like the, the dude in the garage is a, a vendor as well. So they might have hundreds of these. So kind of on the marketing side, we built a lot of these and then we work with a lot of these either vendors or retail side because um, it helps these people, you know, helps the retail side attract more users and helps the vendor side get more people, get more retailers on board. So we kind of have the benefit of, we kind of help, we help everyone in every direction. So they kind of want to see us win as well, which is nice. Um, and that's kind of been one of the, big things that helped so it's really just word of mouth and you know the fact that you, you have good relationships with 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 so many people yeah a lot of good relationships i'd say is kind of word of mouth um i don't know many e-commerce retailers they don't talk directly to each other they more talk to others that talk, it's more of this you know it's not i think there's some industries where the customers talk to one another but then there's other ones where the customers only talk up to a vendor yeah. Um, yeah. if you work with a vendor, many customers talk to them. So that's kind yeah. of more in the e-commerce model. Um, yeah. it turns out some industries are different. So word of mouth doesn't spread. Like you basically, so for example, you always see those, um, things where somebody puts something on their site. Um, and Hey, you know, we use spark shipping. It doesn't really work in e-commerce because e-commerce retailers don't look at one another. They, right. they look at other, you know, they might yeah. talk to shop and they talk to the distributor. So that's who we talk to. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. So, so your category, I think you uh, called it commerce automation software. Is that right? Yeah, uh, e-commerce automation. Yep. Okay. So, in your category, what does the competition look like? You don't have to name names, but I'm thinking, you know, if if you found this 
problem just a few years ago, really, and solved it for yourself. Uh, some other people must have uh, had sort of parallel journeys uh, and and solved the problem in, in different or similar ways. And uh, I wonder how um, you know you find competition to be. Yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of I'm trying to think the best way of explaining this. So there's folks that are um, kind of alongside of you, right? And that we can do a lot of partnerships with, which is nice. So you're not direct competition. Um, so for instance, like shipping software, we don't actually compete with them, we work with them very often. So there's folks like that, that on the surface, they almost sound like competition. And then kind of once you dig in, they're actually more of, they, we work better together than competing. Um, we can't replace them, they can't replace us. So we see that very often. Then there's, there are direct competitors, but a lot of times, and I kind of didn't see this initially, but everyone kind of runs in their own like vertical on size of customer. Um, and the market tends to get split like that. So there's people who do much better with entry level customers. Like if you just signed up, if you just created a new, you know, Shopify big commerce store yesterday, there are automation services out there that they work great. Um, and they're, they just made for working with new retailers. Then there's folks out there that, you know, if you're a fortune 500 and, you're getting, you know, hundred thousand orders a day. They do some very custom integrations and that sort of thing. We're somewhere in the middle, right? Where it's not, you know, we're not made for the retailers that started working yesterday, but also mm -hmm. if you're, you know, Walmart, um, that's kind of a different model and they usually bring in consultants in house. So we're probably more in that middle tier. And I've kind of found over time competition finds these like, uh, like horizontal tears of type of customers. That, yeah, comes stratified, I think is the word. <laughs> yeah, I guess stratified is, yeah, exactly. Where, you know, we just know we're the right fit for certain customers. And if some people are just not the right fit and we're happy to kind of tell them that. And that's kind of been one of the things of just realizing, you know, not everyone's a customer. And when someone's not, it's actually, it's better for us and for them. It's better for everyone just to kind of say, hey, maybe, you know, Maybe this isn't the right fit. Just because if you put someone on the product that's not the right fit, um, they're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy. It's a burden to support. The churn is obviously way higher. So it's just bad for everyone. Um, bad user experience. So it's better off just kind of knowing, you know, here's the type of here's the type here's people we do the best with, and then let's just talk to those folks. Yeah. So uh, on your website, you you do have pricing as well, and I can't remember what it starts at. Was it two three hundred dollars a month, something like that? So I think that would indicate to people who just got started on Shopify that you probably weren't for them. I was wondering if there were any other things that you deliberately put on your website to help de-qualify uh, people who, who might be looking who aren't a great fit for you. Yeah, it's funny, over time, the prices have changed over time. It, I mean, the original prices were much lower and over time it's kind of moved up. Um, I think it's 249 is the entry level plan right now. Um, I think there's even some stuff in the sign up that basically says if you get under X number of orders per month, um, you might not be the right fit. So, and a lot of times, most folks, um, once you're at that price point, aren't just doing like a one click self sign up. Um, a like 90 plus percent, it's a phone call, it's kind of a conversation. So, it's mm -hmm. not so, um, so we're able to kind of qualify folks over the phone and yeah. verbally kind of agree I, is this the right fit it's usually one of those things is it because um, there's that you know they, they've got a particular problem that they don't you know they don't see a solution for on the website but they think that you might be able to solve it for them or some weird integration that only they have or just questions. Yeah. 
it's more of think of if you were I, I mean the best way to explain if you know coming a SaaS audience if you were to if you're using Stripe right now and you found a new payment processor that looked great and had these other features you said I don't know should I just like you can't just take your Stripe and just switch it like it's too big of a <laughs> thing I'm just gonna go like hey, let's try it and just like Monday morning let's do it <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna talk so it's like if you're new and you have you know zero revenue come in you might actually do that but once yeah. you're in if this is what you're doing to like feed your family and this is what you do yeah you're gonna say let's have at least a phone call for us to make sure like you know we're all on the same page here and this is actually gonna work so it's not you know we're taking over a critical part of their business um mm -hmm. we're sitting in between their whole like distribution chain so totally get it you probably want a phone call first if that's important mm -hmm. to you because um, if this is, you know, if you feed your family and have employees and you're all kind of going off this, you want to make sure before you even sign up, before you even begin the conversation, is this the right fit? Um, can these folks do what I'm looking to do? So I think depending on um, the type of where you are, right? And if you're working with small retailers, totally different. Um, price point's different. You don't have order flow yet. You can just sign up, try it. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. If not, cool. Go to the next thing yeah we're kind of going after a different market where if it, you know you need to know it's going there's no like gray or you need to know it's going to work um especially if you're have orders and you're doing a cutover you want to you want to talk ahead of time yeah so i guess from your customers point of view you know there's uh there's, there's quite a bit of risk involved and that must create a you know like a high barrier to switching for you uh you know what do you do to uh Placate or or to persuade them that uh, that they you know that you have a better solution and and how do you transition or how do they transition from their old solution to yours because I don't imagine you can run both. <laughs> so we've actually found ways you can run both for so like a, a sliver and so you usually start by you know not doing the the big bang Monday morning, let's just flip on the, like, we're going this way, let's just flip the switch. Usually start with saying, let's run a few, you know, maybe we're gonna add, add, usually how it starts the conversation is the businesses have something going today. They're running orders, they have some way of getting into a vendor. They wanna add another vendor on. And they basically look at the API or they look at whatever and realize like, oh, this is a lot of, like, we don't have a way to do this either. We could hire a developer and it could take six months and then we have to basically like own the code or we have to talk like they, they start running through all these different things and that's usually where then they find us and say oh you guys can do this and have it done in you know days and weeks for us you know months and maybe never i guess <laughs> somewhere between months and never um so that's usually the conversation starts and when you're adding that on then it's usually more of saying okay we can just slice off a small bit of the order flow move that try it see if it works great now let's add more Go to the next one so we kind of do this divide and conquer where we move a little over at a time run it through everyone feels comfortable we turn more on um and they kind of work with the team here of and that's kind of it too where it's a little higher of a price point so you kind of have a little more one-on-one -on -one of let's work with the team here and come up with an actual plan of saying like let's move this over okay well feel comfortable now let's make you know a bigger push now let's move and at some point you're fully on so we kind of monitor that as well mm. So uh, you started out, I think I'm right in saying, as a software engineer, as a lot of uh, SaaS founders do. And yeah. yep. then when you did consulting, 
I think, you know, you were doing some aspects of marketing as part of that consulting, like SEO and stuff like that, I'd imagine. Um, so, you know, how was yep. it that uh, when you started this, how comfortable did you feel about uh, marketing as, a, as opposed to, say, coding? I would say e-commerce, I mean, as a SaaS founder, if you want to learn about marketing, e-commerce is actually a pretty good way to learn about it. Um, getting someone to put in a credit card for something reoccurring um, turns out to be actually kind of a difficult sell. Um, you know, oddly people, people actually run through a consulting engagement much easier than they'll sign up for like a $100 a month SaaS product. It's, it's this odd thing. It's this odd thing. Um, but then even easier, people will just go and buy like a shirt online or like a hat like that. People will do, they'll just spend $50 without even like remotely thinking about it. Mm. Um, so in e-commerce, you're able to try a lot more just cause like the buyer to acquire customer is just so much lower. So you can really just, it's almost like this like test ground of you can just try things and Oh, that works. Let's do more of it. Um, mm. e-commerce, the whole acquisition cost is higher. Everything's just, uh, sorry, SAS rather yeah. everything's a, higher bar, longer road. So when you run an experiment, you don't, you might not know for like weeks or months, whether it succeeded versus e-commerce, you can run a promotion. And in the matter of like hours, it either worked or it didn't. And then you can just kill it and move to the next one or go more, um, increase it rather. So that kind of gives it a nice, um, <laughs> so I guess if you want to get into SaaS marketing, try e-commerce marketing first, just cause you can test a lot more and you can try a lot more faster. Um, and then SaaS is kind of the, just another level of complexity. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, you know, I've done quite a bit of e-commerce, uh, digital marketing in the past, and the, the bit that I, uh, I I struggle with, and I guess, uh, you know, a lot of businesses are struggling with now, uh, e-commerce businesses, is, you know, the acquisition channels, the acquisition costs is, is just going up and up. If you look at what you used to be able to get on Facebook, you know, and, and what it costs you now, uh, it's crazy, and yet um, you know margins aren't going up. At least with SaaS, you've got uh, customer lifetime value. Uh, you know, you've got at least the you know the cost of acquisition can be usually substantial. But with e-commerce, if it's a you know a one-off thing, uh, you've not got a lot of uh, money to play with usually. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the whole automation side is one of those things where you can't. There's certain things you can't change. If you work with a distributor, you can only get the prices so low, like like UPS is only put their prices. So like everything, there's certain things that you just, the margin is just, you have, there's certain costs that are there. Um, but that whole backend automation, that's kind of a piece people forget about of like, we actually have control of that. And we can just, you know, if we automate that, we can remove a lot of, we can just reduce costs. Um, yeah. That's like this one sneaky way of getting more margin that you don't see. And then you can, you know, go ramp up the top of the funnel a bit more because you have that margin. Um, yeah. And that's just something you don't, you don't necessarily see coming into it. And then over time you realize that's, that is a, a lever to pull. Yeah. So, you know, efficiency is everything and that that's what you provide for, for your customers. You, you know, you just, you just make them more profitable and more efficient, right? Yeah. I mean, efficiency, right. If you, if you kind of up that um, it, it's just a, it's one of those, Kind of the same thing in SaaS, right? You know, lowering churn is always a good thing. In e-commerce, <laughs> increasing efficiency, always a good thing. It's always going to help your margin. So, and it helps your customers too, because it's much better if you put in an order on, you know, a Saturday at 9 p.m. If you're trying to manually send these all out, it's a lot better if they just go out and then you're the first in line when 
you know, the warehouse comes in Monday morning. Same thing with tracking. If it comes back in the middle of the night, just do it or whatever. Pulling in as quick as possible reduces customer support and people emailing you saying, hey, where's my tracking number? Um, so the faster you get the stuff back to the end user, the better off it is for everyone. Yeah. Charles, thank you very much for your uh, time today. Uh, it's really insightful, actually. Uh, you, you got my mind running with a whole load of things about e-commerce <laughs> versus SaaS, uh, which I haven't thought about for, for a while. Um, thanks very much. Yeah, it's great chatting with you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Charles. For more info on Spark Shipping, please visit sparkshipping.com. For more info about this show and to get our links to iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher and YouTube, check out www.47insights.com. And if you have any SaaS marketing insights that you'd like to share on the show, please get in touch. Until next time.